Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Tasty Tidbits Podcast. Get ready to receive rich, well-seasoned, and tasteful tidbits to transform your life. Each week, Dr. Tiffany comes to you with inspirational encouragement and thought-provoking interviews to help you revolutionize your walk with God. Are you hungry for more of His presence? Then get ready. And now, your host, pastor, author, and motivational speaker, Dr. Tiffany Watkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Tasty Tidbits. I am your host, Dr. Tiffany Watkins, and I'm excited to have you again with us on today. And you know, all of us have gone through one point in our life where we've talked about um, to someone that we know or someone that we love, or we've all experienced going from tragedy to triumph. And today, my guest, Guy Morris, we're going to sit here um, and talk about his experiences of going through tragedy to triumph and leading up to his awesome, his awesome books that he has that has become bestsellers in a lot of areas. And so we're going to talk about that today. But before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit more about Guy. Guy Morris is a published songwriter for Disney Records, screenplay writer for Sojourn Entertainment, a patent inventor, and a publisher of intelligent will research thrillers. Since his 2021 debut as an indie author, Guy has released three post-pounding thrillers inspired by true stories, actual technologies, true global politics, and history. Guy's books have earned Book Trib's Best 25 Favorite Books of 2021, Reader's Favorite 2021, Gold Award 2021 finalist for uh, Ian Book for the Year, and semi-finalist for Cinematic Book. And thank you so much for being a part today, Guy. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Tiffany, for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Now, I just read a little bit about who you are and what you have done, but I'm I'm telling you, the list goes on and on. So give the readers just a little bit more about yourself. I am eclectic, uh, to say the least. Um, I I have a very diverse background. Um, uh, I started off uh, extremely poor. Um, I was a, um, a homeless runaway at age 13. Um, and, uh, through a series of miracles, I was able to go to college where I sought as my opportunity to change my stars. And mm-hmm. so I was tireless and relentless in trying to work past the failures, um, that I experienced to start off with, because I was some pretty much functionally illiterate when I entered college. Um, but I was able to, t- I graduated at the top of the dean's list with a number of awards and scholarships. And I think that perseverance has been kind of a a key uh, trademark. Um, The ability to certainly hurt from my failures, but but never wanting to allow my past to define my future. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and, and so I've uh, pursued many things in life. I've wanted to live a rich life. I, I went from such a state of poverty to the ability to have multiple degrees and work with Fortune 100 companies and work alongside VPs and CXOs 
um, and brilliant people, creatively geniuses. Uh, I've I've really felt honored, uh, and so I, I combine that with a sense of obligation that um, I can't just rest on my laurels. Um, I have to uh, earn earn the respect that I, I I hope that I I hope to gain from others, and so it's it's always set up a a a a lifelong struggle for me to to improve myself by whatever means necessary and possible. Mm-hmm. And you know what, God, that that is very important. And I'm I'm glad you shared that with us today because you had shared just about how you were homeless runaway, but you were also working with migrant workers. I think um, at the yeah, time yeah. you were living on the streets and even living on the freeway, like you said, at the age of 13. Wow. How did how did you get there and how did you get past that? Um, well, I I. I... I, I try not to talk about my youth too much because it can trigger me. Um, but okay. It, okay. a pretty violent um, and, and abusive uh, home. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody said, did you grow up in the church? I said, no, I grew up in bars. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of violence, a particularly violent episode that involved uh, a, 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 um, uh, shooting at my stepfather um basically mm-hmm. i was going to either going to go to juvenile hall or i was going to try and make it on my own mm-hmm. um it was tough i was terrified um mm-hmm. but uh determined that no matter what i did no matter what i could find on the streets could not be any worse than what i was finding at home mm-hmm. uh, and therefore if, if i was going to fail i was going to fail on my own terms um, and I was going to fail trying to become somebody different than, than than what I grew up with. And it was hard. I was I, I learned to. It, I unfortunately, I learned how not to trust just about anybody, which mm-hmm. was something I had to unlearn later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was um, but um, migrant workers, you know, when, when you're working on, you know, it's typical scenario in Southern California, L.A., you know, migrant workers, you basically would wait on a corner at four o'clock in the morning, trucks would come along and look for workers. They weren't looking for your papers. They weren't looking for your age. They were just basically looking for a strong back willing to put in a 16, 18 hour day. Mm-hmm. And um, I got that gave me enough to eat. They gave I didn't really I couldn't really rent any place because I was only 13. So I either slept. I, I found multiple ways to sleep under bridges, um, sometimes the back seats of lock, unlocked cars, sometimes open um, um, walkways in, in apartment buildings before I would get kicked out. Um, every once in a while, somebody would have pity on me and give me a count for a few days or a week or so. Um, it, it was a very difficult time. Um, mm-hmm. I would not recommend it to anybody, but for me, I, I had, my my choices were so slim and, and so uh, and so difficult that it was the better option for me. Now, I ultimately, after several months, I did go home for about a year um, so I could earn a GED. But then I left home for good at age 15 before my 16th birthday. Um, and mm-hmm. by then I had a GED. By then, I, at least I had the confidence that I, I, I was a little older. I was closer to 16, so I could start faking my way into early jobs and where they wanted you to be 16 so I could work construction workers and I dug ditches and I, you know, drove produce trucks and I, I, I did all kinds of junky, nowhere, aimless, dead end jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I was determined that I was going to eat, that I was going to feed myself. I had no way to go home. There was no going back. There was no, hey, mom, I'm hungry this week. Can I? Can you send me a little bit of food money? There was no going home for Christmas or the holidays to talk about what my needs were. I was. I learned that if I'm going to fail or succeed, I had to do it based on my own ability to sacrifice and work. And that was what I learned. Um, mm-hmm. So when I did get the opportunity to go to school, um, I was well. I was well educated in what the costs of not going to school were, mm-hmm. um, what the lifestyle was, what the what the ramifications, what the income, what the future was, and so I, even though I wasn't doing good at first, um, I, I I couldn't allow that to the initial failure to basically shortchange my ability to keep trying. Mm-hmm. Um, I and, Until I had un- ultimately failed out, I hadn't failed out. So I was going to keep working. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it worked out well. I mean, I, I once my brain started actually clicking, and, and it did click after a time, and and not only started clicking, but I, I, I just ended up as one of the, you know, just, I... I I, being told my entire life that I was dumb and stupid and worthless, I was the last one to acknowledge the fact that I was actually very smart and hardworking and um, innovative and and all, had all these attributes that I never would have guessed. Who would have known? Um, and so it was as much of a surprise to me as it was to anybody else, I have to say. Um, but it it did come out, you know, and I, I got, as I said, I that to get along to go from sleeping under, you know, bridges to, you know, being asked to fly in the corporate jet with the president to go on this trip to being asked my opinion from CXOs because my opinion to them mattered to them uh, to be. Um, and part of it was I got recognition for building a, a computer model, a, a macroeconomic model that forecast the general the the GNP and interest rates and because I was building on a I was building to prove a theory that I had developed um I was again tireless in in how I worked on it and I wound up outperforming the Federal Reserve and pretty much every bank and and model in the nation wow and that got me a lot of attention it got me my first jobs but I continued that process of trying to think ahead and look to the future and try and innovate on technology. And that really kind of set my career apart. Um, I worked on artificial intelligence and early stages of the internet and early stages of um, the cloud computing, early stages of a number of different things where um, I got to kind of be at the forefront before the world had adapted to all of these things. So um, I, I've been honored and blessed in my career, but it, it didn't mean that it was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, because of my childhood, um, I, I had to, de- I was dealing privately while my, my career was going really well, uh, for, for most of, most of my career went extremely well. Um, privately I suffered, uh, I, I had addictions. I had chronic depression. I had hyper anxiety. I, I could barely if, if you put me in front of an analytical group of people, I was brilliant. If you put me in front of a social situation with at, at a cocktail party, I was lost. Um, 
And I, I didn't know how to relate to people. I was terrified that people would knew that I had all these internal issues and that somehow I would be seen and people would know who I really was. And it took me decades to work through um, all of those issues. Mm-hmm. And again, it was more of a desire not to allow my past, even or the wounds of my past to define my future. Even though that was my desire, it took a long time to make that the reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while you were talking, guy, I was thinking about what I had read before um, what you were stating, because even that you had struggled with your faith at one particular time and um, without the, even the depression and, you know, multiple addictions. But that part of struggling with your faith, because it's like, God, how can um, I go through all of these things? And then you struggle with why did God allow you to have to go through those? And then maybe some listeners that are listening right now saying, wow, God has been through all of that. Why did he have to go through that at 13? Why did he have to go through those experiences as a child? Um, What would you say to those that are listening right now that are questioning their salvation because of the multiple addictions they may be having or suffering with chronic depression? What advice would you give them regarding those that are questioning their salvation? God didn't call perfect people. He called people who were flawed. And he and he was gracious to them. I never once saw Christ admonish the his disciples for their imperfections. He admonished them to continue to keep their eye on what their their objectives should be. And I will be honest, there were times when I thought I, I blamed God for the kind of childhood I had, and that if I hadn't had that kind of childhood. My with the kind of brains that I had and the kind of talents and natural talents I, I I discovered that I had, I could have gone even much much farther than I had because I, I was uh, if I was if I was willing to drink the corporate Kool Aid, <laughs> uh, as it were. Um, but you know, I I, I always think about there, there there was a scripture that always resonated with me. It's a scripture where um, that talks about. Um, um, Two men go to the temple, and one of them stands up and says, I, "I'm I'm thankful that I'm mm-hmm. a good person, and that I've done all these great things, and I tithe, and I do all these good things, and I'm not like Guy Morris over there who struggles <laughs> with his addictions and his depression and his faith, and is constantly doubting who he is and and what he wants." And Guy Morris is over there beating his chest, saying, "Lord, I, I know that I'm, I've got issues. I know I'm flawed. I know that mm-hmm. I, you know, but I'm, I'm asking for mercy because that's not who I want to be." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And according to Scripture, the Guy Morris in the corner went away more justified than the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. And Paul once wrote that. God had given him a thorn in the side Mm -hmm. to keep him humble. Mm -hmm. And I, over time, I became convinced that my PTSD was there to keep me from drinking the corporate Kool-Aid of greed and self-righteousness and self-entitlement, that my my illnesses were there to keep me focused Mm -hmm. on my relationship with God and how I needed God to get to that next step in life. And that it wasn't God hating me as God much as God allowing the um, 
allowing the diseases of the world mm-hmm. to impact me just enough where I knew that I needed God. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a in in the in the beginning of the Beatitudes we hear there's a scripture that says blessed is though are those who are poor in spirit and somebody said that they interpreted that to say blessed are those who know their need of God mm. and um and I had to kind of it and I had to accept it that way I, I realized that I couldn't change my life and and then I also was educated enough to know that there were people in Yemen that were starving to death, that there were people in Africa that had absolutely no opportunities. There were people in um, Eastern, um, Western um, China that were persecuted just because they weren't Chinese. Mm -hmm. As much as I hated my childhood, as much as I hated my my upbringing, as much as I was envious of those who had it easier, who, who could go to high school and go home and know that they had a decent place to go home to and, and, and actually have friends. And, and as much, instead of envying all those who had so much more that I, I had and that I wanted for myself, I, I began to try and focus on how I was blessed relative to all of those who didn't have even as much as I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's about perspective and putting 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 all of it in in some of a balanced perspective, and not allowing the woe is me to um, uh, to bully the um, the willingness to be um, not necessarily blessed um, because there were times I didn't feel blessed. I felt I felt under a a, a curse. Mm-hmm. But there were times when I can I had to appreciate the fact that the Lord had given me a way out. It wasn't an easy way. It wasn't a simple way. Um, the Lord told his disciples that they would give up their lives for the testimony of their faith. Mm-hmm. And so far, I haven't been asked to, to lay down my life. Um, I, I was just simply asked to readjust my priorities, to take accountability for my envy, to take accountability to to face the man that I was, addictions, flaws, you know, filthy mouth, filthy Mm -hmm. mind, to face the person I was in order to become the man I wanted to be. And that really, you know, that's a fair thing for God to ask us. Mm-hmm. That if we want to be that kind of man that does get blessed, that is in his and his uh, that people will regard highly, um, that we earn it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we don't earn it just simply because we we were born into the perfect family and grew up in the perfect lifestyle, and didn't have any of the issues necessary that drove people to become addicts the hopelessness that drives people to become addicts, the wounds that drive people to become addicts. People are addicted because something has happened inside their spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, rather than focusing on um, that, to focus on how God could basically help me heal that spirit mm-hmm. and, and willing to take that time, willing to let it be my lifelong thorn in the side, willing to let it be my lifelong motivation to, um, not get proud, to stay mm-hmm. humble, mm-hmm. Um, and to stay malleable for God to make changes. Mm-hmm. 
That, you know, thank you so much for sharing that, God, because that's so important. And I think a lot of times we look at that, you know, when I was growing up as a child, I didn't have a great childhood, it was an abusive family, um, experienced sexual abuse and so many things. And people would always ask me, how did you get through it? You know, how did you, um, why didn't you blame God? But, you know, I understood even at a young age that God isn't to blame, you know, people will be people and the enemy will use who he can, but we have a choice to make and a decision to make of what we're going to do even with our life that we have today. And certainly the Lord is with you um, for what you have done now. And you've been talking about the different tragedies that you've gone through. And I think that is just awesome to be able to hear it. And even for the listeners to be able to hear, because even with you going through that, even as a result of you going through those ups and downs, you've now achieved, you know, achieved fame as an award-winning author, um, where many of your major characters have survived extreme trauma or mental illness, and they're working to overcome and thrive, mm-hmm. as well as finding their faith you know, in life. So I'm ready to hear about those, uh, some of those series. So just let the listeners know, this is what I was leading up to. So we want to hear about it. it. (laughs) I I think there's a couple of things about my books that I think my readers tend to enjoy. One of them Mm -hmm. is that they're, they're all rooted, even though they're, they're fictional thrillers, they're all deeply rooted in factual uh, events and technologies and history and uh, for example, my espionage artificial intelligence series that started with a book called Swarm is based on a true event. Uh, and that event was I accidentally discovered because of my work and all the research I did, I discovered that a program through an Associated Press article that a program had escaped the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories at Sandia, which is an NSA spy lab. Mm-hmm. And that story just captivated me. So I spent almost a year trying to figure out how a spy program could escape the NSA and what they might have designed it to do that it needed that amazing stealth capability when two FBI agents showed up at my door. Mm. They were rather perturbed that I had figured out something they thought should be top secret and even (laughs) more perturbed that I was willing to tell people about it. I I built a webisode series to do this and, and got an option from one of the studios and so they wanted me to take the site down. I was laughing at them. I thought this, I was tickled pink. I was like, yes, I must have nailed it or the FBI wouldn't be at the door. <laughs> my wife had a different view. She pulls me aside. She's like, why are there two FBI agents in my dining room? And what did you do, buddy? You know, <laughs> and I was like, I didn't do anything. And, you know, and I just geeked out. What can I say? Um, so, so that, that, program that escaped, I turned into a character in, in the books. Uh, and that character has now, as part of its growth towards um, what we call singularity, the ability for a single computer program to function as smart as a human. Um, as And we're really at that mm-hmm. now. So be, long before chat GPT and all of this other stuff, um, I was writing about where we would be in artificial intelligence at this time. And um, because I could just project along the the track, the trend lines, and we're very close to a conscious AI right now, um, mm-hmm. much closer than than some people want to think. And so I, I made that, that program in AI, and that artificial intelligence now has decoded end-time prophecy. Uh, now, none of the other characters are particularly religious, so it, it doesn't deal with the dogma, doesn't deal with the 
what I would, the reason I used an AI to introduce that concept was because I can now strip away what your typical problem in a lot of prophecy teachings, or what I call cultural and, and religious biases. Mm -hmm. So we come at prophecy with the false notion that prophecy is there for us to tell the future. And it's not, it's there for us to interpret the, the present as it happens. And so there were a lot of biases about how we interpreted these allegories about what it would mean. And of course, it would mean that the Protestants would call the Catholics the Antichrist and the Catholic and the, they or they would call the 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 Muslim, the, the, the Islamic nation, the beast. And, and so we got all of these mixed up um, biases involved in trying to interpret what prophecies meant as, as opposed to analyzing when events actually there's two parts of prophecy there's the allegory and then there's the outcome and if we focus just on the outcome it turned out that from my analytical mind i could actually calculate the things that had actually occurred and the probability of those occurrences and the probability of those occurrences together and that allowed me to basically take from an ai perspective how an ai might interpret uh, artificial intelligence and just talk about the events going on in the world and the probabilities of those events relative to prophetic utterances and, and where we're at. Mm -hmm. And so that now that allows me to kind of start taking a, it's espionage, it's artificial intelligence, but it's looking at um, political corruption, religious corruption, world events, including climate change, the rise of fascism, um, artificial intelligence itself, uh, all the other technologies that we're, we're using, how the AI is being used in warfare and weapons and mm -hmm. espionage and spying. Um, and, and allows me to really kind of deal with the world as it really is through this artificial lens of an artificial, of an, a machine intelligence interpreting uh, biblical prophecies in a non-religious way. Mm -hmm. um, now, to, to balance that, I wanted to make sure that my characters, they, they say that you should write what you know. And I say, write what you know, or write what you're willing to invest in the time into researching so that you could know something new. Um, but when it came to characters, I didn't want the typical Tom Clancy or Robert Ludlum, you know, trained Navy SEAL, you know, CIA super spy who can kill you seven ways before breakfast, sir. <laughs> um, and so I, I have my characters, each of my main characters, at least, reflect a trauma in their life. In, in one case, it might be the loss of a parent at age 13. In another, in the case of my main character, similar to my main character in many ways is similar to me in that he went through thick 16 different schools and he was basically estranged as a as a kid and had to witness the murder suicide of his parents and so he's and he's now living he's a genius hacker living under the name of a best friend who died in an explosion that was meant for him hmm. and so he's constantly on the run constantly looking over his shoulders traumatized by his foster care childhood and and the things that that he's had in his past and so while he's the hero and he's constantly finding the courage to do the right thing um he's constantly struggling with his own self-doubt he's struggling with his ability to trust other people with his ability to be honest with other people he's a chronic liar because he's always hiding who he is um, and so he's aware of the fact that he's got these issues, but he, he's still trying to struggle through how to do the right thing for the right people in the right way. 
And so I, and um, another character is uh, an autistic genius, um, can't function in a social situation at all, completely mm -hmm. antisocial type of person, multiple piercings and tattoos and rings, and um, but a, a total cyber genius um, who's better at relating to the computers than anybody else. Um, and so I'm trying to find the ability to express what's going on in the world through the eyes of people who have been wounded by the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not be your typical, I'm doing this for the red, white, and blue um, type of character. I'm doing it because somebody's going to suffer if I don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it allows me to kind of build in not only that, uh, that sense of self-doubt, and that sense of hesitation, that sense of anxiety that makes your hands tremble, that sense that 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 there, these aren't just courageous people who go do the incredibly stupid thing without thinking about it. They're scared to death, uh, and they're but they're 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 seeing no other option. Mm -hmm. And and that I think for me makes them more human. That makes them more even the one Navy Lieutenant, um, her mother passed away when she was uh, 12 uh, from cancer. She had to grow up under a, an ad, a joint chief admiral. And though she's extremely accomplished and extremely competent on the outside, there's always a part of her that misses her mother that, that doesn't, that has rejected now her admiral father as being too harsh. And, 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 and so she's got, every one of them have family issues of some sort. Every one of them have acceptance issues of some sort. And I want to kind of build that in rather than talking about my traumas per se, mm -hmm. I wanted to build in the kind of characteristics in terms of how I had to overcome those things in order to achieve anything. I wanted my characters to do the same, mm -hmm. that they have to um, work through as opposed to um just assuming that these are great people that were of great families and um, perfect, you know, American perfect pen generations. And, you know, dad was a successful this or a successful mom was a successful that. I wanted characters that I felt I could relate to more. Mm -hmm. and that I wanted others who were struggling with what they believed about themselves, what they believed mm -hmm. about prophecy, what they believe about America and the world. I wanted my books to enable people to really explore these things in a thoughtful way mm -hmm. and you know when you were talking about that guy you know my, I have a brother he suffers with autism so when you started mentioning um just to be anti-social they're very anti-social but on one end they're very intelligent you know Super my brother he could read he was three years old reading encyclopedias I mean and he could tell you information he could feed it back to you so while you were talking about that I was like I have to get this for my brother because um, he's autistic, but on the other hand, he has like memory, like nobody's business, you know? Well, and, and my autistic character is some, uh, is one of, when I ask people, they, they say he's one of their favorite characters because he's autistic. He's brilliant. He does crypt, used to do cryptology for the CIA, but left the CIA because he couldn't fit in. Um, he's now working is, but but, but he's actually in a place where he's accepted and loved for who he is and for the skills that he has by the main character, because the main character is also flawed. And so 
I, I allow people to basically have their their tics and their, and their uh, oddities and their ways of communicating that are off-putting at times. <laughs> I love to it. Show how they're brilliant in other ways that other mm-hmm. people can't even approach. I love it, God. I love it, and I believe that's why it's gotten as much traction as it has because it's not just. Um, from being coming from being a perfect person, but a flawed person who can be successful. And see the world for what it is without mm-hmm. taking the Kool-Aid of saying, well, I'm I'm one of the better ones. I'm I'm I'm, you know, and and it would have been easy for me working at the, the level of organizations and being successful as I was in my career to really take on that mentality. And it it was my own internal struggles that um that made that kept me from basically accepting myself in that realm mm-hmm. because I had known growing up I I knew I couldn't accept when people talked about immigration I worked alongside these people mm-hmm. shoulder to shoulder with them they're hard working people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ask for very little in life and I couldn't accept the biases and and the bigotries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was constantly, because we were poor, I was constantly sort of the token white kid in the Hispanic neighborhood or the hood. And, um, and so I could, I could never accept any of those internal biases. Uh, at the same time, working hard, I could never accept laziness as an excuse for poverty mm-hmm. uh, because I had worked my way out and it was really hard work, but I did it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I'm trans- constantly trying to find the humanity uh, in these scenarios that we see around the world right now that are making everyone nervous. And while I believe I, I talk about the prophecy talking about that we've approached in times, I, I use it as a way of saying this is an opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This isn't gloom and doom. This mm-hmm. is this is the chance for someone, your doctor to come to you and telling you, you know, not today and not tomorrow, but you have a terminal disease and that you've only got about seven to 10 years to live. Make sure you're living well, make sure you're making the right choices, make sure you're evaluating your own priorities and your own faith and your own walk and your own self-worth, because that's the, what you have time for right now. It's not about building wealth, Mm -hmm. not about providing uh, wealth for generations to come. It's not about uh, your your legacy in the world. It's not about uh, your success. It's about using, we all have a, a, a expiration date. It's <laughs> yeah. about using your expiration date time. If prophecy is about, is a way to wake up the world to say, this is your chance to reevaluate your direction before it's too late. Mm-hmm. Prophecy, when I started realizing how many prophecies have already been fulfilled and how that wasn't fulfilled in the way that the allegory talked about, but it was fulfilled nonetheless. I came to one of the conclusions, which is prophecy is not about God coming to destroy humanity, but about God telling us how humanity would destroy itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we're on that phase. We're on that track. And that allows me to start looking at the world with different eyes and different viewpoints. And rather than getting hyper anxious about all the things that are going wrong, and there are a lot of things going wrong, um, I can reassure myself to say, well, that's what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. That was what we were told to expect. And our and what we were told to do from that expectation was not buy a gun, not arm up, not build a bunker, 
not try and stop whatever we thought was causing the problem, but every single command that went along with the knowledge of what was going on went to basically doing what I had to spend a lifetime doing, which is look inside and change who I am so that I'm better prepared. When we talk about the 10 virgins, five of them ready, five of them not, the 10 virgins who were ready were the ones that were prepared with oil in their laps. That was their own internal um, ability to find joy and peace in all of those things and not something external to them. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're at a point where Christianity is, should not be about where we go to church. It's not about the community. God didn't call communities. He called individuals called individual disciples. We each get to make our own choices. And so I I don't have to get upset if I think the church is apostate in places because that's what we're told to expect. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get upset because evil is rising up in power in the world because that's what we're told Mm -hmm. to expect. Mm -hmm. I don't have to get too worried about the fact that the environment and, and climate and pollution are getting so great that my my poor grandchildren are going to inherit this this mess because that's what we're told to expect. Mm-hmm. And so if if those things are actually factually true to a statistically significant level, and it is very statistically significant, I actually did the math. The, the computer algorithms that I have my AI doing in the book, I actually did at one point. I actually built that model. I used computer programs and and I used big data sources from an oil and gas um, company. And and I came up with only using only 15 prophecies, um, um, probabilities of one in 1.4 trillion against random chance. Mm. So because the math is so overwhelming, I don't have to worry about whether it's true. I just have to worry about what's my response to this. Mm -hmm. How How would... If if I had the Messiah sitting across the coffee table from me right now, what kind of advice would he be giving me? Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be join a political party and take up a cause. It wouldn't be many of the things. It wouldn't be going on Twitter and, and ranting about the world. <laughs> uh, it, it wouldn't be, you know, all of the things that we feel somehow that we're compelled to do to have a voice and i think that's in part one of the reasons why i was led to write books when i retired um, um was because this allows me to basically that's my voice that's my ability to put this complicated scenario from worldly events to artificial intelligence to prophecies and flawed people in a context that says they don't get saved in the first book and it's not all about this sort of superficial sort of experience. It's about an evolution of them understanding and changing and evolving to get to that place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot more realistic than I think that that I get out of than I, I hear out of some of the sermons I've heard on the topic. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my motive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, and I really love that. And we may have listeners that's um, listening right now that is really being encouraged by your story because I know I've been encouraged but they're they have been experiencing some type of tragedy before or experiencing it now and going through ups and downs in life would you just say a brief prayer for those that may be listening that they can make their transition into where um, they're supposed to be before their expiration date 
Lord, for everyone who's hurting. Yes, Lord. Everyone, Lord, and you know I pray this every night. For those who are suffering from the inhumanity to man, for those who are suffering from greed and avarice, from those who are suffering from all the spirits that basically destroy the world, and those spirits that destroy each other, Lord, I just ask that you would just raise up a candle of hope yes. in the window of darkness for each of those souls. That as, it, it, as bad as it looks, it does not mean that it cannot get better. Yes, Lord. And it does not mean that it's the situation in our lives that need to change, but it's how we relate to the situation that needs to change. Yes, Lord. Lord, and the strength that you build, that you don't you don't build blessed mansions for people that are faithful. You build secure walkways through the crowd. Yes, Lord. You don't take us out of the valley of the shadow of death. You take us through it. Yes. And it's the journey through where we will find our salvation. You know, I ask that you bring a spirit of courage and hope and belief and perseverance and just enough strength to get through the day to do what we need to do today to be faithful and, and not try and put on us the burden that we have to be perfect or we have to be what the world wants us to be, or we have to be what the world expects us to be, and we don't have to be that today. We can even be fail, fail today and know that tomorrow your mercies renew and that we still have a chance to change. And of all my days, Lord, in, in trying to walk with you, there have been many countless days of failure. You gave me the opportunity to wake up the next day and try again. And it's in that hope, it's that, in that mercy that's renewed every day, that I just pray you put in the hearts of every person listening to this. Yes. In your name. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you so much, God, for being a part of the show today and just sharing with us um, all of your wonderful books and just your testimonies of the things that you have experienced. And if the listeners wanted to get in touch with you or to purchase your books, what is the best way to reach you? Uh, the easiest starting point, which will give you links to all the other social media, emails, and everything else, is my website, GuyMorrisBooks.com. And that will give you buy links. It also links you to all the other reviews and, and other highlights. Uh, there's fact versus fiction pages. There's links to my social media, my press kits, all the information you would need to uh, try and either communicate. And if you want to buy a signed copy of the book, you can buy it from the website. Awesome, awesome listeners. So make sure to go check out Guy and find out more about his series because it is hot. Go make sure you check it out. And thank you again so much, Guy, for being a part of the podcast today. We were so blessed to have you. And listeners, until next time, God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you for listening to Tasty Tidbits with Dr. Tiffany Watkins. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to subscribe, rate, and share with your friends. To learn more about Dr. Tiffany, check out her blog on goodreads.com or visit her website at www.renewedfaithministriesinc.com. Until next time, stay blessed.